Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Not Your African Cliché. Before we get into today's episode, though, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher, where we are Not Your African Cliché, as well as SoundCloud, where we are NYAC Podcast. Don't forget to reach out to us on social media, Facebook, we are Not Your African Cliché, Twitter, at NYAC Podcast, and Instagram, NYAC underscore podcast. You can also email us at notyourafricancliche at gmail.com. Now, enjoy the rest of the episode. episode of Not Your African Cliché. Today's topic is healthcare in Africa as a continent and we might um, touch on a few topics specific to Nigeria but we will definitely give you the heads up before that. Um, to introduce ourselves, this is Amayo. Hi guys, this is Ife. Hi guys, this is Ife And we have a guest with us <clears throat> Hi, I'm Benga Olatunji. I'm a consultant with PwC focusing on healthcare and I lead our practice in Nigeria. Nice, nice. Yay. We're so Thanks grateful to us. have you. Thank you so much for joining us as a professional. We hope we're looking forward to your key insights. Um, um, but yeah, thanks so much again for joining us on short shortness. Pleasure to be here. Yay. Okay, so I think we're just going to jump straight into it. I didn't have any mm-hmm. fun questions. I'm sorry, guys. I was just like, let's get down to business. Let's discuss. Um, so, yeah, good. so healthcare in Africa. I think we'll just jump straight to the first question, mm-hmm. which is what are the obvious healthcare and, I guess, R&D gaps in Africa? So R&D is research and development. So what are the obvious ones that pop into your head? Sorry, before we go on, can we learn more about like what Wenga does for oh, PwC yeah. and like you know, um, Wenga? Can you tell us what you do? What exactly you do for PwC? Like, what's a typical day like for you? Who, what kinds of clients do you work with? How you know? Um, in what ways do you help them be better? I think that's what management consulting is. I'm not. Yeah, I think maybe my background helps before I talk to you about what I do in PwC because I really have only been there now for a year. Okay. Um, so my background, so going back all the way to school, studied chemical engineering, was going to become an engineer and then got bored with that. And then I did information security <laughs> consulting and I got bored with that. And then I did business consulting. And then I got bored with that. And then I went to business school mm-hmm. uh, and I studied for an MBA at the London Business School. And with all the options out there of things to do, um, I was you know going through a period of selection and I, it was, I figured out um, that I was an area I was really interested in. Um, so I joined Johnson & Johnson, and then I did more strategic marketing work across Africa and parts of the Middle East. So, so a few countries are uh, interested now there. And, okay. um, and that role meant that I spent a lot of time really with physicians, um, helping to develop new you know, um, surgical practices, um, apply new te- techniques, introduce new technology. Um, and, and this really came him face to face with some of the emerging um, disease patterns, so non-communicable diseases, 
um, you know, my work covers things like um, um, trauma, um, cardiology. Um, it covered, you know, oncology. Um, it, it, it covered um, obesity um, surgery. So it was a, uh, you know, it, it meant that I was I was face to face, really, well, you know, the sharp face of um, surgeons trying to deal with um, uh, emerging diseases in Africa. And so since I've joined PwC um, at the beginning of last year, um, you know, we we uh, we the health practice in Nigeria is relatively um, young in the sense that we've had projects over a number of years, but. Um, it's only in the last year that we're trying to build a, a focused uh, practice around healthcare, mm-hmm. and you know we've, what that means is we've done work or are doing work for a broad range of clients across um, the public sector. Um, so I'm, I'm working for a state government to help introduce a uh, public health insurance scheme yeah. um, for the private sector. So mm-hmm. hospitals looking to raise financing for expansion. Um, or you know, um, you know, private sector again on the more farmer side. So done projects helping to research um, growth opportunities in in Nigeria and other parts of Africa for pharma companies. So it's a broad range. Um, and and I also did a study on behalf of um, an international development agency to look at what sort of interventions can be done around non-communicable diseases in Nigeria specifically. Mm-hmm in the short to medium term. So it's a mix of things um, <laughs> all day, um, as you can imagine in, in most parts of Africa. But um, every once in a while, we get to do something very interesting in each day. Uh, but it all adds up to hopefully um, having a significant impact on the health systems um, and healthcare delivery in, in these countries. That's a lot of stuff. Hopefully you don't get bored of PwC anytime yeah. soon because we need you. Um. <laughs> well, it, is, it usually takes me a couple of years to get bored, so there's still a whole year ahead. Okay, so what are the obvious gaps in healthcare and research and development in Africa? Hopefully that's not too broad. Well, I mean, it is quite broad, mm-hmm. to be honest, um, because if you're thinking about healthcare, mm-hmm. so um, I'm trying not to give you a consultant's answer. And delve into the industry structure and all that, but at the heart of it is, um, you know, are they able to get the treatment that they require um, in a timely, you know, uh, as quickly as it's required? Um, mm-hmm. Will it be um, affordable so mm-hmm. not being denied access because they cannot pay for it? Will they have access mm-hmm. to the medicines and co that they require? Um, and, and if they require a series of interventions, so everything from surgery to something like rehab or, or physio or, you know, radiotherapy, whatever, or, or home care, will they have access to an orderly um, arranged um, series of interventions to make sure that they ultimately um, get back to full health? So I think that's what, in the end, we all care about. Uh, we can call it whatever we want, but ultimately when we fall ill or when our loved ones fall ill, we want them to be better. Mm-hmm. I think when, mm-hmm. you, when you think about it that way, there's a whole range of problems um, at the moment on the continent. Um, if, and I think some of the material you sent already starts to look at some of these things. For example, you look at the nature of diseases that um, the continent mm-hmm. is, is trying to deal with. 
we now have the the burden of the historical burden of infectious diseases which first made but it's still you know there's still so many people dying of diseases like malaria all the cholera and all the you know all the infectious diseases um there's still all the issues related to childbirth so maternal mortality and, and infant mortality is still a big big issue hmm. but then you have the other two major classifications of disease talking injuries so the broad range of trauma whether it's uh, injuries whether it is you know uh, um self inflicted or not so you're talking road traffic accidents you're talking terrorism all the kinds of things that that cause injuries some self mm. inflicted as well so all the suicides and things like that mm. as well as the non communicable diseases um and and i think across those three there has been work on the communicable diseases um there are mm-hmm. system place for the most part and we can debate how successful those systems are but place for the most part to deal with those infectious diseases mm-hmm. what we don't have is mm-hmm. you know strong systems in place to deal with the um and and that's a big problem um you know i, I will yeah. use a lot of examples from nigeria obviously yeah. but if you look at a place like nigeria at the moment um if you have a heart attack in in the country either are near zero because the normal response for a heart attack is you go to mm-hmm. you get taken by ambulance to what's called a cath mm-hmm. lab where someone will try to access mm-hmm. your blood vessels all the way to your heart and put a scaffolding in to keep your um your you know arterial vessels open um there are only a handful of cath labs in the country and an even mm-hmm. smaller number of them that are working and mm-hmm. only a very small number of cardiologists who can mm. um successfully perform the procedure so mm. you know that just shows you the scale and and mm. the last time i checked the mortality from cardiovascular diseases in nigeria was upwards of 150,000 people per year wow, wow. so so oh. um i mean not all of them are dying from heart attacks there are all kinds of things in there but kind of mismatch there is um mm-hmm. out there so So first thing is there isn't a proper recognition of the diseases that are you know the problem and ensuring that people you know systems are in place to address them. Second I think we can't get away from the fact that there's a problem with human resources for health um in the region. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a big issue you the nurses um even smaller numbers of those who can actually do um deliver proper healthcare. Mm. Um so so that's a big issue and, and when they where there are a lot of them are clustered around the urban areas, the big cities. So you you yeah, end yeah. up with someone in the rural areas with limited access to healthcare. That for me I think would be the the mm-hmm. second big issue. And I think the third issue goes to how healthcare is funded. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. You know, in many countries um the government still yep. thinks, you know, most people believe the healthcare should be paid for by the governments um or at least politicians campaign constantly saying they're going to offer free healthcare um there is health insurance um starting to um take root in a number of countries um south africa has always had a strong private health insurance system 
and the, go mm. the government has been working over the last, um, I would say, five years or more to try to expand coverage to include the poor, um, mm. well, the rest of the population, mm. really. Um, Kenya has uh, a pretty decent um, public health insurance scheme, and they've, they've grown over many decades. Fairly good mix of um, of interventions. Um, uh, Nigeria has the NHIS, which was um, um, it's really not done much. Um, success has <laughs> been, I mean, achievements have been really poor. Mm. But what's different? Um, there's, I think, in recognition of the fact that NHIS hasn't worked as well as it should. There's more. Um, there's now a program or a concerted effort to drive for states to set up their own health schemes so that the delivery will be at the state level. And so okay. I know, for example, that um, Lagos State um, is setting up a health insurance scheme. I know Ogun State is working on one. Farah is, Delta is. Um, I was part of a delegation that had representatives from those Kenya to look at their health system or health insurance uh, scheme. So there is um, some work there, but um, unfortunately, these things take far too long help the you know the individual who today or tomorrow might be facing the news that they need um you know surgery or, or or something and they don't have the resources for it so one that i would add and this for me is source of real frustration is that um you know in the same breath that we say we want to be able to treat diseases we want to be able to deliver health care policy the governments, the regulators, all the responsible parties are taking, in some cases, just ignoring, but in, in act, uh, actively taking contradictory steps hmm. to things that lead to those diseases. Can you tell us examples of, of, of things like exactly. that? So, for example, if I were to look at, I'll just take two fairly basic things. So you look at um, the road traffic accidents, for example. Um, there is a, you know, it, it yeah. is not without, it is not for nothing that many countries focus on the, you know, things like making sure people properly know how to drive, the driving mm -hmm. is regulated, there are rules in place, enforced, um, seat belts, all that. Um, because that links directly to the number of people that have road accidents mm -hmm. and casualties on the road. Um, it seems like a simple example, but you look at what's going on in the roads in Nigeria and in many parts of Africa. Mm -hmm. um, it's it, it is mm -hmm. you know, we have this high rate of road traffic accidents. Um, the other sort of example that I would use to illustrate this is you watch TV and people are just promoting all kinds of substances for consumption. <laughs> uh, you know that will cure everything from you know. Uh, a lousy mood all the way to cancer and HIV or whatever, you know, products being sold in the market um, that ultimately put a burden on individuals' health um, to disease ultimately. Um, there has been talk of a spike in kidney disease in Nigeria in particular, and, and I don't know if you if you hear this, but that's in, where it's always in the news, you know, since we had a president that had kidney problems. Um, you know, mm. inevitably, there's always someone trying to raise money on social mm. media for kidney transplants. That's um, true. And, and well, things actually, like that. that about it. That's directly linked. And if I may just add a last one, um, I think this 
this one where there's starting to be a bit of a change. I was researching cardiovascular disease trends um, around 2008-9. If you look at the way laws, you know, the laws that are being um, implemented in, in many countries to try and drive down smoking, um, mm-hmm. everything from you know the labeling to obviously the things like age restrictions, promotions. All that mm-hmm. things that are making um, it quite mm-hmm. hostile for um, cigarettes or tobacco companies um, in, in a lot of the Western countries, mm-hmm. and the, the reason for that is smoking is a strong um, uh, risk factor for cardiovascular diseases, some oncology, uh, a whole range of health problems. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, we're opening factories for um, tobacco companies in. <laughs> in Nigeria. Now, I get that there are many economic reasons why we'd want companies to be here, but you see what I mean? Is that contradiction, in, that inherent contradiction? If you want yeah. to have a healthy population, you don't do things that promote uh, ill health, yeah. like smoking. And I, yeah, and I think even, like, even just the disregard for the importance mm-hmm. of public health policy, like going back to smoking, this is Ifes speaking, by the way, Going back to smoking, like Nigeria is one of the only countries that I know that people smoke indoors. And I'm like so baffled by every time I, you know, before I left home, I didn't, I'd never thought of it. But when I leave and come back, I'm like, why in the world did we, do we think this is okay? Like secondhand smoke, like even, even Mm -hmm. though I've never had a cigarette in my life, you are, your indoor smoking is making me at risk for the same diseases that you are willingly you know taking on i'm in, i'm on i'm involuntarily getting you know getting the risk factors for the for these diseases too you're absolutely right and i think i think on this on the indoor smoking part um that again used to drive me crazy i think there is <laughs> it's getting slightly better but mm-hmm. it's still a an issue and and i think it is only when you've got people in policy who are looking at all these diseases and saying, how do we address, what are the things we, we do? Because, so, so I think you, you touch on a broader point, which is that given the burden of disease in Africa, um, given the shortfall in um, the skilled you know, health, health workers, given mm-hmm. the limited resources that are available, quite frankly, given the not the the relatively small number of health facilities out out there, you will think that your the first line of defense for healthcare will be prevention. Yeah, um, doing everything <laughs> to prevent people from needing uh, needing care and yes, and I think there's there is a there's a lot still to do. There are some things being done on the infectious disease side, so you've got mosquito nets and. Mm. You know, you might mm-hmm. find public awareness campaigns around clean water and things like that, but ultimately, it's still too little, and um, it doesn't address the full scope of um, of things that um, that that you know causing diseases. Yeah. So I have a question. So how do we? Ugh, what are your suggestions for making public health like it? it more of a priority for the government like how do we how do we you know what do we do because i feel like we're not even studying so we're not there isn't enough data itself like we're terrible at data gathering and and so how do you even 
try to address an issue where you don't even have quantifiable yeah i mean and and it's one of those things like when you say how do you eat an elephant right and you say well <laughs> you just take a piece at a time and uh, you do something and if you as you continue to record success you get credibility you get encouragement and you do something else um mm-hmm. i think the program on the infectious disease side um so often these things are you know done they are done um you know, almost haltingly. So it's done one one quarter, one year, and then it's forgotten. The funding is not available the following year, or someone else takes over as the director in the ministry and thinks, you know, this money really is wasted. Let me put it in my pocket. Mm-hmm. Or we, you know, we upset some donors and they decide they're not funding. So, you know, there's, it's not done consistently. It's not done. Um, you know, the recognition that these things take time. They're they're not things you stop doing just because you you feel you don't feel like doing that consistency is going to be the first thing um the other is just the recognition that um we need to put more and more people who know what they're doing mm-hmm. in places where they can actually do something yeah um so you know we've got uh, epidemiologists people who look at the disease trends we've got public health workers um you know let's get better knowledge of what are the trends it's just that you don't. It, it just feels like they're not effective. They're not really executing, or they're not executing well enough, or they're not covering enough around. Yeah. So it's you know just keep doing it. Let's just keep doing it. As we record success, we do more. Mm-hmm. We so these things. We put the people who know what they're doing in charge. Um, <laughs> we don't just focus on addressing the crisis of today because we tend to find. You know, systems, at least in Nigeria, and I'm sure this is the same everywhere in, in many places in Africa, we learned from crisis to crisis. So when there was yeah. a polar, we focused on that. And um, I suspect that if the numbers are wrong, there will be more fatalities from all other things than in polar. Mm. Hmm. That's interesting, Oh no, I, just, I was going to say that there were a few things that stood out to me based on all you've said. The first one is the bit about, you know, if you have your heart attack in Nigeria, you're pretty much screwed. That's the summary. And I remember when you spoke to a few of us, um, when you spoke earlier um, at the firm, and you talked about how there are only so few cardiologists in Nigeria, and if a particular cardiologist is not in the country then your chances of survival are very slim so that was the first thing it's like okay definitely we need more um like you said human resources definitely but um and then the second thing you said was you know how there's a concentration of these doctors in urban areas so people who are in rural areas are also at a huge disadvantage so that's another thing that um that's very important to me and that um you know that cycle of okay so when do the disadvantaged get like how do they how can they benefit from you know uh, our healthcare system or healthcare resources if they're just by virtue of where they live they're already at a loss and then the third thing you said was how um we don't stress much on prevention particularly for a country like nigeria where you said you know we live from crisis to crisis so um, you would think that they would stress more on prevention than cure, seeing as the cure is not even, you know, guaranteed. 
or the care is not readily available, you would think that we would stress more on prevention because, you know, that's just much easier. But we already, we also fail at that. So it's just, there's just so much going on. I can't even, like, like I'm just like, how, how, how do we even begin to make strides? But I mean, that's what Ife already asked then. I guess baby steps. This is Ife, and I just want to jump in and say that, um, Benga did he touch you touched on this earlier, but the people and actually I really like the I think it's the economist material that you shared, Ife. Mm-hmm, um Amaya. That was very like mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed like really well done. Um and I think it's important like from a top down approach to have people at the top who are knowledgeable, who are very skilled and they know what they're doing and so they're putting into place policies that are effective and are um that makes sense (laughs) and also not just making these policies but like enforcing them so like going back to prevention like what prevention policies do we have that are being implemented like effectively um and then what you were saying about skilled workers one of my friends um tolu she's a med student and actually she would have been great if she could have joined this conversation but she's in a battle right now and she made a comment about how She's working with a lot of brilliant healthcare professionals, but the gap that, you know, back to your question, the gap in healthcare and our healthcare system, it's not just like about the level of skill, but Mm -hmm. what they're working with, the resources that they're working with, because you could be really great and have, you know, all the knowledge and be really smart. But if you're not, if you're working in a hospital where there's no light, you know, the, the labs are not working, the equipment isn't up to date, there's a limit to what you can do. So I just wanted to throw that out there that, you know, sure, we could have more skilled workers, but also what are they working with? And I guess that kind of explains why you have this gravitation of people, you know, healthcare professionals to like urban areas is because of that. Um, but going back to, um, rural areas and just like that lack of deficiency in like the healthcare, the access to healthcare, it made me think of how here in the States, even though there are problems with programs like Teach for America, there is this like, almost like programs that assign people Mm -hmm. to inner cities or places where, um, yeah, they're not getting as good, you know, education as they can, even though, like, there's a lot of criticism, like, about programs like that, but that's definitely one start, you know, as a country and, like, other countries, like, because, I mean, not a lot of people would willing, like, some people go, those who are, like, (laughs) altruistic and, you know, whatnot, they go to those rural areas, but if there could be programs, like, you know, like NYSE, like, I don't know if you have programs like that, that assign, you know, med, like healthcare professionals to places that don't have as much access, like healthcare. So, so I'll just take a quick step back to your previous point, And then I'll come back to this issue about how we cover rural areas. So I have a simple frame um, that I tend to use to analyze healthcare delivery. Mm-hmm. And I need service to be to be effective and long-term sustainable, you need to think about three elements. Um, you need to think about the infrastructure. You need, to, you know, you need to have a building. You have, you need to have beds. You need to have the lights, as you mentioned. You need to have consumables. You need to have have the kits. Um, 
however much you're a skilled cardiologist, if you don't have a cath lab, which costs, you know, quite a bucket load of, um, of cash, you can't do anything. Your structure is, is important. And you extend that to everything like uh, maintenance, you know, making sure that it works properly. People are trained on how to use it all. Yeah. Kind of stuff. In many ways, that's the area that, um, and that's the area that politicians like to deal with. You know, they like to cut a ribbon and open a hospital. <laughs> There's nothing inside. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> There's nothing part. inside. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the second key element is the um, skills that deliver care. And skills, it's a combination and the mix. So you can have a fantastic cardiac surgeon, everything else required. That surgeon is going to in in delivering good healthcare outcomes. So... Um, and, and that's it's everything. It's the nursing, it's the physios, it's the uh, it's the community health work. Uh, it's a whole range of skills that you need to bring in. And it, unfortunately, um, as the diseases become more complex, the skills that are specialized. And if mm-hmm. there's any part of the world that is poor in specialist skills, it's it's Africa. Mm. Um, so, so in my previous job, I was going around training surgeons in performing keyhole surgery. Even you could say perhaps is a slightly advanced, but um, mm. we also were doing surgery to introduce use of staplers um, in, in bowel surgery. Mm. Um, and and I, I can't go into all the details in this, but just imagine that the ability to use that technology makes the difference between telling a patient that you will do the surgery for them that their quality of life will be reasonably good versus something that will so drastically that not to have the surgery at all. Mm. And so helping people to acquire those skills and then on an train those are here, attracting people that come to the continent to increase the skill base here. That, that's a big part of it. The skills is an important element, and it really gets very little attention. Mm. Um, beyond the, we have X number of doctors, X number of nurses. But the third element is this funding. And I think in some ways, it's the ongoing funding. So whenever someone falls ill, there's, there's going to be a cost, regardless of whether you have it or you have bills. That treatment will require consumables for their for their treatment. It will require pharmaceuticals. It will require mm-hmm. a whole range of call of um, expenditure that is specific to that patient's care. Um, mm-hmm. And so, a system that pays on an ongoing basis for that care, then no service you have will sustain. Mm-hmm. It will ultimately collapse. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I think that really is the solution to the to the healthcare problems in the rural areas because if you think about it if we end up with a system in Nigeria or any country in Africa where it is clear that for anyone in the population that develops malaria there is X amount paid to treat them so that will be paid through their insurance to the hospital that treats them guess what will happen Loads of hospitals will open in the urban areas to treat everybody with malaria in the urban areas. But it will get to a point where any clever investor will realize that 
they are, they're going to get better results if they open their practice in an area that's not saturated mm -hmm. by others. And that for yep. me is how you will drive access closer to the rural area. Solving the financing thing, ensuring that healthcare to people across the country, then you will see that, it, you know, it, it, it will find people setting up hospitals, um, setting up practices in rural areas where they have uh, the, or the patient base. So, um, yes, you can do other things like have incentive programs. Um, you know, you can have, you, you can always have interventions by, you know, NGOs and other parties as well. But I think if you solve the funding problem, hmm. you will, you will have a, I think, a, a better chance of, of bringing healthcare to people um, in, in the non-urban areas. Hmm. I guess so to summarize, you said infrastructure, um, skills and, and specialty skills and funding. funding. And continuous funding. Yes. So mm -hmm. when funding, so usually use that to re refer to, you know, whether it's an insurance scheme or, uh, you know, everything from mm -hmm. pharmacare to the system in the likes of uh, so social system, uh, social health systems like um, we have in places like France um, to, to, you know, what I described as happening in Kenya, you mm -hmm. need sort of funding. Yeah. I remember reading somewhere how somewhere um, someone said that the key to I guess improving the healthcare sector lies in the private sector teaming up with NGOs and not relying on the government, particularly in countries in Africa. So I just want to get your insights on that, what you think about that sort of par partnership and if you think that is actually a good path to solving some of our problems. Yeah, I think healthcare needs so great that so you know even with what now that we've got the public sector, private sector, the not-for-profit sector inadequacies all across the board. Mm -hmm. So I I was taking any pieces out. What I think would help it comes down to this financing. If you have health insurance. And that care, when you need it, can be delivered by a public sector or a private sector facility. My view is that you need all the uh, as you can to be there. So, and you know, my I know I gave the explanation of what would happen if we had health insurance, but there will still be those parts of the you know of the that will just not be as attractive as others. And mm -hmm. you always want the government to be able to um, who are in the society. There are also areas of healthcare where the specialist skills required are, are just not on the skill that they are attractive commercially themselves anyway. So you will always want, you know, you will always want, for example, I'm not sure you can have a private sector initiative or even an NGO initiative that will be able to respond to the kind of an Ebola crisis that we had. True. Right? Um, so I think the, the, what I think to the extent possible, um, you create a dynamic where people have choice between mm -hmm. public and private sector. Um, mm -hmm. And I think to the extent that the government reforms the public sector, 
so, so that they are focusing more on quality, on outcomes, on efficient use of resources. Um, I mean, for example, Lagos State, if they implement the health insurance scheme, what will happen is that over time, you'll get to a point where the public hospitals in Lagos, their incomes will be determined by the number of patients that they treat. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so if you get to that, you can imagine, and by the way, those patients can go to a private sector institution if they want. Mm. So that will, um, because they are, they, you have the option as an individual to choose where you go. So what will happen is if the, the public sector institutions will improve, basically they die. Um, but, but the fact is they won't be guaranteed income in the way they were before. So, mm. so I, I think in going back to your, your question directly, I don't think um, you want to take the public um, I think, you know, certainly in Africa, across the board, you, you still want to have as many pieces as you can, or as many players as you can, um, providing services. Yeah. And I just feel like having NGOs be a pillar, or, you know, like, play a like, why do we have a government, please? And why do we have, why do we pay taxes? Like, what is the point of a government if we're now making NGOs like a concrete building block of our, of our, like, lives? Like, you know, NGOs should be supplementary. Yeah. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if we're now saying, oh, like, part, like I'm like, ugh. <laughs> I'm just really annoyed. <laughs> Like I'm not annoyed at you. I'm I'm just annoyed at the you know like at the at the circumstances that make it so that you know it's even a thing. It's a thing that that we're yeah. I don't know if I'm making sense. Yeah, I mean, but but so let's unpack that. And I know there's a general use of the term NGOs, mm-hmm. but if you think about the full spectrum of what we're talking about, so you could have the parties like the. Um, the WHOs, the uh, uh, international bodies, UNICEFs, and co that con- you know run programs um, in countries to deal with specific health issues. You have the private sector groups like the Bill and Belinda Gates uh, Foundation and co, uh, Clinton mm-hmm. Foundation. Uh, you have um, parties like the Medicine Sans Frontiers and mm-hmm. the MSF and, and others who. Uh, Red Cross and co who respond to crises, bring human yeah. resources and bring supplies um, funded uh, by fundraising and sometimes government contributions. You have the likes of, um, there's a, a whole swathe of faith-based um, care providers across many mm-hmm. parts of Nigeria, for example. Mm-hmm. So you have hospitals that are funded by missionaries or, or, or uh, you know, churches and, and so on. Uh, not Nigerian churches, by the way. <laughs> Region. Sadly. That's um, a story for another and, day. <laughs> yeah. And so suddenly you have a situation where um, all these pieces, all these parties play a role in delivering healthcare. And I think, um, yes, there are some of it that really play roles that the government should play. But I think, sorry, just a sec, sorry, I'm going to. Um, uh, I, I think, um, I think, and I think there are things that the governments do need to step up to the plate and deal with. 
um, one of the, the articles you sent me, you know, addressed this issue that's come up recently where because of the, you know, recalculation of Nigeria's GDP, we no longer qualify mm -hmm. for funding. Yeah, uh, for the, for, for yeah. Uh, oh, uh, and things like that. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, but, and you know that that you you know you'd like to see those governments raise the funding and step up to the plate and deliver on their responsibilities. Uh, but I mm -hmm. think there will be some countries that will just take them some time to be able to do that that are resource constrained. Yeah, what will be interesting actually will be um, to see an uptake in the um, contributions that come from you know all the faith-based type organizations that are indigenous to nigeria um because as i say when i go when i was traveling across eastern nigeria church funded projects that are coming from churches in spain churches in europe um i didn't see many free health um care delivery centers that were funded by churches um, so it'll be it'll be good to see more, and a lot of the fundraising that's done mm -hmm. for the NGOs is done outside mm -hmm. Nigeria. Mm -hmm. um, and there are all kinds of issues for me with with how some of that fundraising is done, but <laughs> not said in in the region as well. So it'll be really good, first of all, for the governments to get themselves sorted out and do what they should more of the charity to be done locally because I think um, I think that will make a, a big difference hmm. hmm. alright so I know we talked a, a bit about the government's role in healthcare um, so, and yeah you yeah, talked you about, about NHIS, NHIS. Um, the National Health, Health Insurance, Insurance Scheme in Nigeria, Nigeria and the other programs in Kenya and South Africa. Africa. But, but what, what I guess I'll change that question, question to like, like what, what more can the government, government do? You know, I like I actually like this question, but sorry, okay. sorry to you, Maya. <laughs> okay, I guess um, we, we should start like with the foundation. Like, what should the role of the government be in the first place, and what oh, more can they do? Ah, I see what you're saying. Okay. Okay, sorry. I thought we had jumped to the last question. <laughs> sorry, I can't count. Go ahead. Okay, so fundamentally, um, the I, I would really just like to see the government play... So the government can play one of several roles. Um, it can play the role of an operator. So uh, mm. that's what it will do mm. in, say, Kenya where their NHIF um, is the insuring body in the country. So they take out policies, they cover uh, enrollees, they administer their care delivery, they handle the money, um, they basically take responsibility for, for the care. Um, they can also play the role of a um, of a regulator. What NHIS did in Nigeria, it did not play the role of an operator, it played the role of a regulator. And unfortunately, it didn't play the role of a regulator properly. And and so we've kind of got a health insurance scheme that just not worked. Um, the coverage has been poor. Um, there are all kinds of um, dissatisfactions with the, um, with the services that they deliver. Save. I mean, there's all kinds of, mm -hmm. you know, financial mm -hmm. mismanagement that's alleged. 
uh, by different parties and not playing the role of regulator, but that's the second role they can play. And the third mm -hmm. role that, that they you would expect them to play is a contributor. What you you know, if you end up with a well, I I'll use the term contributor, it can be fairly broad. But if you think about the population out there, say let, let's use um, let's use Lagos State that's trying to implement a program, for example. The population in Lagos, you will have uh, people in the private sector, the private formal sector, in the um, uh, public formal sector, you have the informal sector, and then you will have the poor and disadvantaged. So people who cannot pay for their healthcare. What you want is for the government, the health insurance scheme, advantage will never get healthcare coverage, right? Um, what you want is for the government to step up to the plate, provide funding for the public uh, formal employees so they don't cut corners, they don't scrimp on, on their responsibilities. They make the contributions necessary for the public sector workers either directly through payroll, uh, taxes or allowances, whatever they need to do. They need to find a way to make sure there's money for their for their employees to be covered, um, but also they need to have a mechanism for funding the poor um, and the disadvantaged. So um, you know, if you set up, and this is what happened with the NHIS, you set up the scheme, and all the government does to it for their employees, and doesn't think about. Um, you know, the poor and disadvantaged um, and doesn't play the role of regulator properly to encourage or attract people in the informal sector into insurance coverage, mm -hmm. um, then it's not going to work. So I guess my response is really for the government to play those three roles properly, be um, the regulator, um, be, be an operator, um, where it makes certainly if you choose not to be an operator make sure you're you're regulating the operators properly so in mm -hmm. Nigeria not to the HMOs to operate them properly um, and then be, be a contributor uh, and make sure that you put the funding uh, for those parties those individuals who cannot afford their own coverage um, even if that means you raise more taxes or, or funding from other parties. Hello? We're here. We're just sucking it all in. <laughs> Did we just say the same thing, Amaya? <laughs> Letting it sink yes. in. <laughs> just like, wow. I, I was just thinking about how our government isn't really doing any of this. I'm telling, like, I'm t it's really a, a miracle that we haven't imploded every time I just like really think about what a government should be doing and what our government is not doing. It's like, wow. Yes. Or even if, even if they are making steps in that direction, it's like, they're not, I don't know. Like, <laughs> they're I, always honestly, making steps. It's always incremental. Like, you do you understand? Like, it's like, are we going to be forever making, you know, it's like, ugh. Yeah. I feel like we've reached we've reached that point where there are people in government who have good intentions, but it's just a matter of carrying like the follow up, follow through, and then 
that's where like the problem lies and even when they are making steps it's like okay people don't even know what they're doing like many people don't even know about nhis yes like there are people that have no clue what that is or you know how to access that when it is <laughs> well I'm what, what i would hear, have... can okay. i just add just quickly that yeah i mean you're right that um these things have been for far too long not been addressed um, I, I know that these are being done now. I know there are a lot of parties that are trying to help them properly this time. So, for example, we've got the World Bank, um, we've got parties like Farm Access um, and, and others, other international parties that are working with, for example, Lega Sogunfara with their health insurance scheme. So, there are now. Um, you know, does that guarantee success? I, I honestly don't know. I think, um, you know, the the history of Nigeria, unfortunately, is filled with um, good intentions um, that don't trans, you know, translate to much else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a bit of watch this space, but I think <laughs> for now there is there's a there's a pretty good chance it can happen, but bet the house on it. At mm-hmm. least not just yet. Ifa, did you want to say what you wanted to say earlier? Yeah, my question. Next few questions. was fine. So I have a question for Gwenga. So what's what's the trend of healthcare and R and D that you've seen across the continent? So how many countries in Africa have you worked in, or have you are you familiar with their health healthcare systems, and what are the trends, and what like lessons can we learn from each other? Because I had a, I have a friend, the same friend Tolu, who um, was in Rwanda for a bit, and she was in Uganda for a bit, and there were like some things I can't remember the details again. Really, if um, if it were Tolu, would have been great for this actually. Now that I think about it, um, yeah. So if you have any insight into other African countries' healthcare systems, and you can share. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, so I talked a little bit about, at least on the financing side, about um, Kenya and South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, North Africa, I mean, is miles, of course, ahead. Um, they have more physicians. They've got better funding. They've got um, better infrastructure. Um, they've got a better grip on their health systems. Um, I was in Algeria a couple of years back. Um, and, you know, they're building oncology being a big issue they are building you know especially um, cancer country you know countries like Morocco are dealing with their um, health um, health financing and putting in place um, um, a what I think it's um, a DRG system which is basically based on disease classifications um, so you know, there, there are different countries that are doing different things. Um, I would say some countries are moving quicker than others. So, um, you know, Kenya, I think, is moving much quicker than Nigeria. I think um, I think there's a strong correlation between um, good governance in the country as a whole and mm. the development of their health systems. Um, because, I mean... You know, look, Nigeria has received a lot of funding for, from the Global Fund, and there's been all kinds of noises about um, how that money has been spent um, recently. Um, mm-hmm. And that goes down to, to government, really. So um, I, I think that, you know, there is progress being made in some countries, but 
honestly, with the just this growing non-communicable disease burden, um, and just the and, and I'll come to R and D in a moment, um, and just the and the, the ability of selling many years, um, and I think on some levels also fatigue from people who are trying to help because they're not seeing enough progress on indicators. I mean, just think about the frustration for people who put money behind polio eradication mm. and how Northern Nigeria just sabotages all that mm. um, by refusing people coming to, to immunize their children. Um, so, you know, there's all that going on in terms of trends. Um, I think when you talk, to, talk about R&D, that's a very interesting one because I would... So I'm sure there are many categories that you can look at under R&D, but I would say let's look at two areas of R&D. One is understanding the, the disease, um, the risk factors, um, disease trends, uh, and patterns for, uh, for Africa. Um, you know, I talked earlier about this spike in, in kidney diseases. They talked about the numbers for cardiovascular diseases. Um, you know, when I'm in the UK, there's constantly reports or studies being published that are showing risk factors that are driving diseases. And, you know, that's then translates into action by somebody. Um, age and cancer. So there is, you know, when you turn 65, there'll be a screening program and you materials for you to, to take samples for screening for colon, for bowel cancer. Um, over here, that doesn't really happen. Um, you know, it's just not there. And for these diseases, um, it's, um, the risk factors cut across. But well, recently, where there was um, the, there was um, increase. Well, they found increasing association between um, diabetes and the consumption of rice in Asia. Mm. And so, the point being that, okay, thankfully for us, it's, there are two things in common for us. We eat a lot of rice in Nigeria and Africa, like they do in Asia. <laughs> and we have a lot of people that have diabetes, like they do in Asia. So, you know, you could say, ah, thankfully they found that maybe there'll be some policy around rice consumption that will help to address it. But that that's impossible. Benefit. Well, uh, yeah, but that, it doesn't mean that they'll say don't eat Rice, yeah. It just means. I mean, if you knew that eating rice every day was bad for you, um, and that uh, you could supplement it by eating other things like sure. beans, or, you know, healthier I greens. Suspect that, yeah, healthier greens. I suspect that more people will make the choice. True, you're right. Um, you're right. Or, or when they are getting treated for diabetes, they're still. It's um, you know, it's normal. Um, you, I guess my point is knowing those things will help. Um, there are certain diseases mm -hmm. that are more you're more disposed to if you're if you're a black person. Prostate cancer, for example, is more prevalent. It's more um, associated with black people than than Caucasians or, or any other race out there. So getting the R and D into to try and find the link between. Um, um, our lives and diseases I think it's, it's a big area that isn't done uh, enough. It, 
honestly, mm. I think it's even more fundamental the quality of research. I mean, I read clinical papers um, that are published by Nigerian clinicians or clinical scientists. I've attended. They're based I've outside attended, the country. No, no, no. In Nigeria, I've attended. Oh, really? Medical congresses. Yeah, I've attended medical congresses. Um, West Africa with College of Surgeons. I would attend their congress every year during my time in Johnson Johnson, the um, the Eastern Central, Eastern South uh, South Central Africa, the Sexa. Um, those the quality of papers is really often quite poor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and I know well, and I know that there's a lot of you know there have been people who are making efforts more and more to improve research in that area but sorry if the quality of papers are poor how did they pass peer review like how do they get into the journals is it like the is it the science itself itself like the experiments that are poor or the writing or you know well it's it's everything really um it is so if you want to if you if you, if you hear on the news that in the UK they found an association between being outdoors and uh, what was it the uh, outdoors and um, uh, vision impairment, for example, was a paper I read recently. Um, that would be often be based on ten thousand the ten thousand um, sample population will have been done over many years, right? Mm-hmm. The sort of papers that I very often will see is, um, or that I would hear will be um, our experience of treating patients with cardiothoracic um, problems in southwestern Nigeria. Um, a, and they would say it's a, a report on 10 cases that they've done. Um, it, it has very... I guess my point is it has very limited real scientific value mm-hmm. um, in, 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 in what I'm describing. This helping us to better understand the relationship between what we do um, and, and diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that area um, um, is something, there's something to look at. There. The other area of research and development that I have an interest in is uh, with pharmaceuticals and, you know, um, healthcare products. Um, there is, it is, you know, it is no surprise that when Ebola hit, um, there was no medication available for it. And mm. the reason for that is it was solely seen as an African disease. There, it wasn't bothering the guys in North America or in Europe, so why, oh. why on earth would they bother about finding a cure? When, when it's struck, then there's a, been a race by all the companies to develop solutions um, and to develop vaccines and possible treatments. Um, and you think, well, okay, finally we're going to have um, these guys are doing it out of the kindness of their hearts. But the pharma industry is responding, in my view, and I'm maybe a bit cynical here, but they're responding to this because they see that the Western countries are scared as to, they're scared to death that this can spread to their region. So they want to develop the vaccines and the treatments to protect those Western countries or those countries that, you know, not necessarily in Africa. 
The point mm -hmm. I'm making is there is a lot of R&D happening, but it only addresses African problems to the extent that the African problem can become their own problems. Um, and a lot of this goes, it's not because they don't like Africans, but there isn't just a commercial opportunity in Africa for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have, you know, if, if you develop a, a breakthrough cancer drug, you know, you feel the cost of $5,000 per patient. Um, and then the African governments and media put it out there that you're just a mean company that wants Africans to die, does not want to give them drugs. <laughs> what happens? You suffer more than you gain. So I guess the point I'm making is um, R&D, um, it's a big area of, it's a big area where there's a gap. Uh, the solutions to it are not easy. Uh, I mm. think mm. there would need to be a measure of being proactive on the part of African government, African industry, um, to fund um, R&D. need to be better skilled people involved in R&D. And I'm not dismissing all R&D out there as being inadequate or being poor. That's not my intention. Uh, the point is that there isn't, on in the main, the quality isn't where it needs to be. Um, and then I, I think um, there are other things that can be done, like, you know, um, IP protection, intellectual property protection, laws and, and systems to protect people who make the investment to do research to ensure that their mm. interests are protected. I think that's a big thing as well. Um, mm. But, but I mean, I'll just tell you, I was um, there is some some hope out there. I mean, I, I was um, involved in bidding for a project that was going to something like two hundred million pounds, um, not in fees, but two hundred million pounds um, into researching the next generation of uh, uh, antibiotics. Mm -hmm. So, um, probial resistance looking mm -hmm. at, um, you know, how it's evolving and so on. And, and that was going to be across Africa. It was funded mm -hmm. by foreign governments. Mm -hmm. So so I think there is some, some things happening. Um, you know, you would have hoped that that would have been funded by a, an African government, but it isn't. So, well, it, that's <laughs> fine. We'll take the money. Um, but, but that would trick one problem. There are many others that, you know, and oh, by the way, you would imagine that antimicrobial resistance will be of interest to that government as well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so then again, not pointing out so the kindness of their heart, but on an overlap of, of interest. So those ones that are not an area of interest for other governments are the ones that African governments and African industry need to step up and cover. Okay, so I have one last question, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you most excited for about like the future of healthcare in you know let's end it on a positive note what are you most excited for <laughs> what are you looking forward to first is i'm seeing more um more of an interest from africans in the diaspora to be involved in mm -hmm. delivering healthcare in africa mm -hmm. i for example work with um, that I can name specifically, I can talk about, say, three or four people, uh, physicians that I've 
no, no, I mean more than that anyway, but let, that I can remember right now, who came into Africa to do some training, found that they, they, uh, they could do more good here than they could where they were, decided to start to spend more time delivering care in Africa. And, and that number is growing. I mean, I'm seeing and meeting and hearing of more and more people that are doing this. So the more people that do that, um, not only do we have better care available, but the, in my view, model good behavior as well to the rest of the environment. So um, that gives me hope. I know mm. we said, for example, that uh, just, um, when you have a, if, if anyone has a heart attack, they're in trouble. Well, at least we have Dr. Johnson. And, <laughs> you know, um, and hopefully there will be a second and a third and a tenth and a twentieth yeah. Dr. Johnson mm. uh, yeah. out there. So that, that for me is the first. The second thing um, that gives me hope um, is I, I really do believe that if we get the health financing thing, if we sort it out and we do it properly, we, we will. Um, we will really do a lot of good. Um, mm. We will really unleash the power of um, funding to to really energize the, the private sector to refocus the public sector to really make things happen. Mm. You know, it's mm. it's not going to be quick. Um, there will be bumps along the way, but I really do hope that they, they get this sorted out and. Uh, you know, we will finally come to the point where you don't, you know, rely on prayers to be healthy in Nigeria. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, I, 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 the analogy I give to people is I, I have a health insurance scheme that means I can get um, health coverage pretty much. I can go to the UK and get and see anybody I want. Um, but the problem is, it's a little bit like the briefing you get when you board a plane. And they tell you you've got a parachute under your seat. Oh, sorry, a life vest. <laughs> and you just, you just, you know, you quickly check and make sure your life vest is there. The last passenger didn't take it out. And you're sure <laughs> you're fine. But the reality is... There are only a few circumstances where that life vest will do you any good. Mm. Um, That's so you true. Will, you will need to land safely on water to not have any fire, and then you can exit wearing your life vest. Anything other than that, I mean, and by the way, how many planes have you heard landed safely on <laughs> water? <laughs> the point I'm making is those who have money, who have resources, um, we all have a stake in making sure that the health system works locally because mm. there are very few money that those resources will do us any good. If you have a heart attack, you've got a very short time to get help. You're going to be you know, boarding a private jet to go to the UK or anywhere. Um, if you have a stroke, there, you know, there's a very short amount of time for you to get attention. You drive on the road and you bump your head and you you know you, you see what I mean. You you can't survive a flight in a pressurized cabin. So we yeah. all need the health system to work properly. We're just um, holding on to false hope um, and relying on a life vest that will be of no use if you have a mid 
the explosion. I just. Sorry, I didn't want to end it to the first. I love how we like went from something. We're trying to and end on a happy something. note. No, 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 no. I, I, I guess this all I, is to say to everyone that we all have a stake in this. Don't think this is them. Mm, it's not all. Yes, it's true. It, it's all of us. We're all in it because if it doesn't work, it affects every one of us. And those things that we hold on to and think of insulate us from facing the problem really don't. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Binga. This has been an eye opener. It's like a wake up call. Like, you have this responsibility. Like, even if you're not in the healthcare field, like, you're not studying medicine or you don't have any plans to be in healthcare policy implementation, like, everybody does have a role to play. And we can all, mm-hmm. you know, help make a difference. This is Q song that uh, has to do with this. Um, but no, thank you so much, Benga. It's been I, I I personally have learned a lot. Um, this has been very insightful, and the detail has been great. Thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, it's been a pleasure, and all the best. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> so at the end of our episodes, we should we usually go around and talk about you know what we're reading or what we're watching or we're listening to. Just to end on a fun note, um, there was a book I read, and it was funny. It was it was the book that was recommended <laughs> while I was reading a financial book. So I was reading Tim yeah. Geithner's book on the financial crisis in the U.S., and he mentioned mm-hmm. um, a book by Gerwande. Um, I, I can't remember this. This, the name now just just as I'm saying is I think it's complications. Um, oh, a two go one day. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that's a I think that's yeah. a great book. Mm. Um, and I only say mm. because you know it it has a health. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, mm-hmm. But but with application beyond healthcare into other areas of life. So you know if you if you want a rec- book recommendation, um, given the theme of the discussion, that would be one I would give. Okay. Nice. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Good night. Yeah. Take care. Bye. All right, Amaya, take it away. Okay, let's see. What am I listening to? Okay, so I heard J Cole's song. I think it's called High for Hours. I don't even remember what it was called, but I heard it last week, and my sister played it for me. And the lyrics were just, of course, like just so on point. So I think it's called High for Hours. I only heard it twice. I haven't listened to it since then, but definitely, like that song is something. Like J Cole, you're doing such a good job. <laughs> just keep doing what you're doing, boo. Not like you're going to listen to this, but hey, never know. But yeah, that's what I heard um, recently. That was awesome. This is Ife and new music. I'm I'm terrible with finding new music. I just usually like stick to my Spotify playlists. Mm-hmm. But I listen I recently started listening to Kalani, I think is her name. Mm, I love ah, her. Oh, she's yeah. so good. She's like R and B like I haven't heard in a while. And it's <laughs> uh, 
I really, 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 really love it. Um, so Kalani, I'm listening to all of Kalani's stuff. And she has a new album coming out soon. And she's released some singles. So I've been listening to them on on um, on Apple Music. So get into Kalani if you haven't yet. Then I am reading this book called Weapons of Math Destruction. And it is about... Mm how our lives are governed by algorithms now and those algorithms and that isn't necessarily a good thing so people tout and say oh algorithms are fairer because you know it's a machine doing the stuff and it's not it it like reduces human bias but we forget that humans create algorithms and humans and the algorithms have the power to like replicate replicate biases on such incredible scale so if your algorithm isn't transparent, if your algorithm doesn't, um, you know, use feedback, like how can you tell whether, anyway, it's a really good book about data and algorithms and stuff. So I recommend it. I have, I'm still like, you know, in the beginnings, but it's really good. Mm. Yeah, actually, after I saw that you were reading that a friend of mine actually um, recommended that and she said it was everybody should read it yeah. so yeah that's definitely on my list um, this is Ifeoa and I'm currently in between books um, which is sometimes a fun and awkward place to be um, but I think the next book I'm going to dive into is I'm Judging You by Lovey Ajayi yes. um, so I'm excited for that because I've been following Lovey for a while and her she is Hilarious. She's a national treasure. <laughs> and she's also our Nigerian sister. She's a national treasure. And she's our Nigerian sister, so I'm excited to And she's my namesake, her. y'all. Um <laughs> her full name, her Yoruba name, where Lovey comes from is Ife Olua. Just to let you know. Cool beans. <laughs> um bag. music. Uh, oh, okay. So, music. I'm listening to this guy Anderson Pack. His album called Malibu, and I've been listening to it nonstop. It's an amazing album. Um, so everybody should check it out. And lastly, I just started watching the show This Is Us. Yes. And that's that's a pretty great show. Also, another side note to the side notes: <laughs> a friend of mine at work <laughs> convinced me to watch this season's The Bachelor. So I'm also watching. <laughs> Just on a random tangent, like it's so dramatic. <laughs> you know, dramatic. You, you remember when I recommended Unreal? Watch Unreal to like, yes, to like know how Bachelor is really made, or yeah. like you know, a, get the get the an idea of how the Bachelor is really made. Um, I forgot to give you guys I recommendation see. of um, what I'm watching. I'm watching Good Girls Revolt. Uh, it's an Amazon Prime original, yeah. and it's really good. And it's about mm-hmm. when, you know, a few years after the Civil Rights Act passed, and when women were still not allowed or hired for certain jobs. So it, it's 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 set in a newsroom, a fictional newsroom where women were the researchers and the men were reporters. So women would like research all the facts about a story and essentially like write itself that the, the men will report by like sometimes rearranging the words. Do you know like just like basically 
yeah. yeah. Anyway, so it's a really good show about like um, the women starting a lawsuit or um, basically fighting for the right to be reporters. Is yeah. So so far so good. It's good. Um, so yeah, thank you guys for listening. This has been a great episode for me. I hope you guys enjoyed this mm-hmm. because now I'm just very yeah. hyped to do stuff in healthcare. I don't even know what exactly, mm, yes. but mm. we shall see. <laughs> guys, you all have a responsibility to do something. So yeah, we're yes, so also putting this on do you. It. Do something. Be empowered. Empower others. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thanks, guys.